All right. Well, this morning we are going to be in Genesis again. We're actually going to be finishing up Genesis today. So if you guys want to go ahead and mark your place, we're going to be in Genesis 39. We're actually going to be in 39 all the way through 50, but not read all of it. Okay. So, but just 39 is where we're going to be first. Okay. Um, so like I said, we're going to be kind of finishing up Genesis, and um, if you guys have been uh, keeping up with the reading, if not, you know, that's the reason why we try to uh, get, give, give messages every Sunday of stuff that we've read and everything, you know, so uh, to kind of help us keep up. Um, if for some reason maybe you missed this week or you missed last week, everything like that, hey, don't be discouraged. Start tomorrow. Start today, right? Uh, that's kind of one of the things we want um, you guys to realize, that we got plenty of resources. Like I said, we give messages on Sunday morning, everything like that. Uh, so even if you've missed a few days, oh, man, don't be discouraged, you know, uh, Pick it up. Start. Start today. Okay? And uh, so uh, the big story that we're going to be talking about today is the story of Joseph, which, if we have to be honest, is a pretty familiar story. Okay? And Joseph is a uh, tale, if you will, of uh, misfortune and missed opportunities and closed doors and everything, right? Is, is usually how people think about Joseph. And, you know, and actually probably one of the the scariest and maybe one of the most heart-wrenching words in the English language is that word closed. Um, and in fact, uh, Proverbs 13, 12 actually says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, um, which in uh, layman's terms basically means having to wait for something that you really want sucks. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, that's kind of like the layman's terms of it, okay? But, you know, the, this idea of closed doors or miss, uh, miss opportunities, stuff like that, um, like I said, the word closed can be very, very heart-wrenching to us. Um, in fact, here, let, let's, let's see if any of these uh, maybe tell a story that would hit home a little bit. Uh, go all the way back maybe to when you were a kid and uh, you were, I don't know, nine, ten years old, something like that, and you go up to your parents and be like, you know, I really want to play in Little League. I want to play baseball. Baseball. And the parents are like, okay, yeah, let's get that started. And they go out and they buy a bat and they buy a helmet and they buy a glove and they buy all this stuff, right? And your parents go out in the front or backyard, whatever, and they, they help you out, right? They pitch to you. You learn to hit and everything, all right? Then you go and you, you have to actually try out for the team, right? So you go and you try out, you do your best, everything. And then at the end of all of it, the coach comes up and pins the roster up to the bulletin board and your name's not on it, right? So you know, to, to a kid, right, that automatically feels like this closed door, right? So just, it's, it's heart-wrenching, right? It hurts, okay? Um, fast forward a little bit. Maybe you're more that kind of person. You've been planning your wedding since you were 13 years old. You uh, had, your, had your colors picked out. You knew exactly what kind of flowers you wanted, all those kinds of things, right? You had all of that picked out. But instead, even though you, you, know, you date and, and all of that, unfortunately, it just has never worked out. You've never found that peace with another person. And unfortunately, you're, you're still single, right? And sometimes that, it feels like a closed door that, you know, maybe you're being denied a relationship opportunity, okay? Um, or maybe you're in your, I don't know, mid-40s or so, and you are uh, debating on leaving your job and trying to seek something that is better elsewhere. But instead, you make the decision, you know what? I'm going to just work harder, and I'm going to get that promotion, right? So you, uh, you, you work late, you work over lunch, you work through your vacation, everything like that. You, you, you do your best, and you just try and try and try and try. And then five, years, more, five more years go by, and you're still at the same job, and you get passed up for the promotion. And you feel like there's just this closed door of a perfect career opportunity, right? Point being, and maybe none of that describes anyone in this room, but the point being, 
I think that we all know what that feels like. We all know what it feels like to hope for something and the door to be shut. We all know what it feels like to feel like, man, things are just going so well, and then you just have to pivot, and you have to turn, right? Um, maybe you know this about me, maybe you don't, but I used to be a bassist in a blues band. And we played out, we traveled and all that. It was, it was fun, honestly. Um, I like blues music. And uh, one of my favorite blues songs, actually, well, I guess this one's a little bit more funk, but whatever, uh, is uh, Dr. John, uh, Right Place, Wrong Time. <laughs> yeah, okay. One person knows the song, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. So anyway, it's, it's, it, it's fun. It's a fun song, okay? Uh, but the entire song is talking about, you know, misfortune, misopportunity. I mean, that's the entire premise of the song, but, you know, he does it with a smile on his face kind of thing, right? And uh, so Dr. John uh, wasn't really known for his eloquent speech, but uh, he actually does have a quote about this particular song, okay? And I really like this. Uh, he goes, that was a uh, time in my life, a long time ago. Um, at the same time, I was at the wrong place at the wrong time and the right place in the wrong time. What? <laughs> right? It's this last part that I really like. That was the problem. I was always in a position where I felt like I had to shift gears. And I think... That is a familiar term that we can all relate with. There's probably plenty of people in this room that feel like you're always the one that has to shift gears. You're always the one that has to pivot. You're always the one that feels like you have to change directions. And it's never your fault. Right? Things are always done to you. Right? I feel that way sometimes, right? but we always feel like we're having to shift gears and, and change directions. And I would say that that is one overall theme that we can get from Joseph, but there are several others. And that's what I wanna to try to unpack this morning because Joseph is one of those stories, like many other Old Testament uh, people that we have a tendency to just kind of like, oh yeah, I know that story, right? We have, you know, like Noah, everyone knows Noah in the flood, right? Uh, Jonah, everyone knows about Jonah, right? But we, we, did a ser- we did a sermon series here, and we kind of unpacked Jonah a little bit. It's like, oh, maybe we don't know him the way we do. We thought we did, right? You know? Um, and then, then you got all these other characters that we've already talked about um, over the past few weeks. You know, we've got, like I said, Noah, we've got Abraham, we've got Isaac, we've got Jacob, we've got all these people that we've already talked about. And our tendency is to be like, oh, I know these stories, and you just kind of check out. But see, Joseph becomes an even more powerful story when you actually plug him in to the overall narrative of the Bible, which is what makes this a rare opportunity because that's what we're doing, right? We're going to be reading the whole Bible in a year, and that's what makes this such a rare opportunity to be able to show Joseph and how he connects to everything else in the overall narrative of the Bible, okay? So, um, like last week, for example, okay, David was up here and we talked a lot about covenants, right? We talked about the promise. We talked about, um, you know, God telling Abraham, you know, hey, look up at the sky and try to number the stars. And, you know, you're going to have descendants that outnumber the stars and all that, which is the, obviously the premise is more than you can count, okay? Um, so, <clears throat> pardon me. So, you know, we, he made this and then he, you know, like, okay, well, how, how am I going to know this? And God was like, well, go to the barn, right? And it was just this really weird thing of, 
okay, so I'm asking you about this promise, and you're having me go to the barn and grab some animals. Like, this is some weird things, right? So, and then we have this picture of all of these, this bloody trail of animals that are split in half, and Abraham is, you know, told to walk through these animals, this bloody mess, this bloody path that probably smells horrible and everything, right? Does everyone remember this, this imagery from last week, okay? And this covenant promise that is made to Abraham, okay? And, and how does God kind of seal this promise? Does he say, if you screw this up, I'm gone? Does he say anything like, no, that's not what he says, right? He actually says that if I break this promise, it's on me. But what's he also say? If you break this promise, who's it on? That's also on me, right? And it's this overall showing of how God and his love and his mercy takes on the punishment of not being able to uphold this promise. Because, I mean, let's be honest, in some ways, he probably knows we're not going to be able to, but in his sovereignty is able to make a way for us to still receive mercy through that, right? And this is the whole co- you know, covenantal promise that we're kind of talking about this morning, right? And then from there, it travels down to the promised son of Isaac, which then travels down to Jacob because Jacob deceived his father, right? And all that, which, I mean, he, he took away the birthright, but I mean, he's, he, his brother kind of gave it up over a bowl of soup in Genesis 25 anyway, so how much did he value it to begin with? Um, but anyways, all that, and then eventually that leads us to Joseph, who we're talking about here. Okay, so now over the course of seven days, we went like a couple hundred years or something, right? Okay. Now, we are purposely not going to be talking about the other brothers this morning because I think in some ways we're honoring Jacob's wishes uh, because Jacob preferred Joseph (laughs) over any of his other brothers. Okay. And so as as we fast forward, and like I said, we're going to be talking about Joseph's story. What I actually want us to do, and you you don't have to necessarily turn there right now because I I want us to focus on uh, Genesis 39 first. But the accumulation of the entire story of Joseph, okay, is going to come to Genesis 50, okay? And that's where the story is going to end. And it's not only the end of the story of Joseph, and it's not just this overall theme of the story of Joseph, but it's also the overall theme of the entire book of Genesis, okay? And that's what we're going to find out, specifically Genesis 50-20, Okay? And uh, that is, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And we're going to see this theme over and over again. Actually, now that we are at the end, you get the perspective of being able to go back and look and see how that theme worked out through the entire book. Okay? So before we uh, unpack the end of the story a little bit, first what I want to do is make sure that we connect Joseph with the overall narrative. Okay, so let's, let's talk about this a little bit. Um, Maybe as you're reading through the story of Joseph, you notice that, man, it just seems like this is lingering. It just seems like we've been talking about Joseph for a long time, and you've been right. So actually, uh, the story of Joseph gets more paper real estate than most of the other characters in Genesis. I think he actually gets the most, and I think that's also intentional uh, because uh, the writer is trying to tell us something about Joseph. He's trying to tell us how this imagery of Joseph connects to a more overall theme of scripture, okay? And we're, we're gonna, like I said, we're gonna unpack this as we go, okay? But anyway, this is what you find. Uh, so Joseph is from the lineage of Abraham, which we've already kind of covered there. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Uh, so Jacob runs away from his brother, right? And he goes and gets with Rachel, which is Joseph's mom. Now, Rachel is only able to have two sons. And at this particular time, okay, Joseph is the youngest son, okay? Um, out of all of his brothers. Why is that important? That is important because Jacob favors Joseph just like you would an oldest son and gives him what? 
a coat. Everyone knows about Joseph's colorful coat, okay? This is made into a movie. It's made into a cartoon. It's made into a play. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a doll, right? Everyone knows about Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat. Was it colorful? Maybe. The main point we got to get from this, and actually it's more specifically translated from Hebrew, coat with long sleeves, okay? That's more the thing to really worry about, okay? Don't worry about the colors, everything like that. It's more a coat that shows a status symbol. That's the thing we got to remember about this coat. Whenever Jacob gives the coat to Joseph, what I'm saying here is you are favored. You don't have to do work. You don't have to, any of this stuff, okay? As all this, your other brothers have to go out and mend the sheep and everything, you can stay home and play your PlayStation, that kind of thing, right? That's what Jacob is saying to Joseph when he hands him this coat, okay? And, I mean, so think about this. So if it's a, if it's a coat with, like, long sleeves and everything, that makes it really hard to, to pick up sheep, right, to carry a staff, all that kind of stuff. That's the point. It's not a working coat, all right? Jacob gives Joseph the Armani, where all the other brothers had to go get their clothes from Goodwill. That kind of idea, okay? Not that there's anything wrong with Goodwill. There's nothing wrong with Goodwill. It's just cheaper. Okay, that, that's it. All right, we'll move on. All right, so, <laughs> um, so Joseph is then uh, presented as this favored son, and what's he do? He has dreams, right? And he repeatedly tells his brothers, his family, consider, you know, including his dad, and like, these dreams. And in these dreams, he keeps on selling them that someday you all are going to bow to me. Don't ever say, you might have the dream, don't ever tell someone that dream. Okay, you keep that to yourself. <laughs> okay, but he tells that, and he doesn't even do it once. He does it multiple times, okay? So now we're trying to get this picture that Joseph is maybe this spoiled, like, bratty little kid, right? It's like, well, you all are going to bow down to me. Look, I'm all, you know, I've got the fancy coat and everything like that. And, you know, and even, like I say, even tells that his own father is going to bow down to him, okay? Which is a big deal, okay? How do you think this makes his brothers feel? Are they happy about this? No. <laughs> what do they do? They conspire to kill him. Now, I don't know if you ever have a sibling that you just don't get along with, and I don't know if you've ever contemplated something like this, um, but I would venture to guess, probably not. So back in these days, apparently that was okay to just let your mind go. It's like, oh, this guy kind of annoys me a little bit. Maybe I'll kill him. Apparently that was just the way you operated. But so they, they conspire to do this, but instead they, you know, they get him into a pit. They find his coat. They dip it in goat's blood, fake his death. And then they sell him off to slavery. And this is where Joseph's suffering begins. Because up until this point, he's had a pretty easy life. Right? He finally gets to feel what real suffering is. He's sold to slavery. And it is at this point, because he's sold to, um, I think it was the captain, right, of the Egyptian guard. And in Genesis 39.2, we get a very important phrase. I don't know if you guys want to put that up real quick. Yeah. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. That's a big deal. This is the first real time that we hear that the Lord was with Joseph. And if you notice, he says, became a successful man. Now, we don't really know, like, how long necessarily he was in, in this particular era of slavery. 
But from this phrase, and actually this, this following passage that we're going to read, there seemed to be a little bit of refining that's happened during this time. He's grown up a little. And when his suffering started, that's when we are, quote unquote, reminded, we'll say that, that the Lord is with him. Not when things were going well. Not when he got his fancy coat. No, when the, when the suffering started, that's when we're told that the Lord is with him. So just, Joseph becomes pretty successful, as we read there, right? He becomes a successful man with his Egyptian master. So much that he's pretty much head of household, right? The only person that's above him is the master. That's it. Things are looking pretty good. Yeah, he had it pretty good, went down in the pit, and now things are looking good again. Enter Potiphar's wife. Ruins everything. She comes up, notices Joseph as the, you know, Hebrew hunk that he is, and we get one phrase over and over from her. It's the only thing she really says in the Bible. Very pointed. Lie with me. That's it. You know, so she, she knows what she wants, I guess, right? And, she, and this doesn't happen just once, but multiple times. Joseph eventually has to literally run away, leaving his cloak behind, which is unfortunate, which causes another thing, but has to literally run away from this, but not before making his case. And this is what the next section we want to read. Genesis 39, verses 8 through 9. There we go. Okay. But he refused, he, Joseph, and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph is making a case. He's pleading with her, like, how can you do this? He's pleading with her, like, look at all the great stuff your master and my master has done for us. Why would you do this against him? All this. But what is Joseph's main concern here? Does everyone catch this? Is it, is it sinning against the master? Is it, you know, is it doing something against him? Is, the, is that a concern? Yeah, I'd say it's probably a concern, but it's not the concern of this passage. The concern of this passage is how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Right? His main concern is sinning against God, dishonoring God. This is a very different Joseph than we saw only a chapter ago, right? A chapter ago, we saw this bratty, selfish little kid that was bragging to his brothers that one day you're going to bow to me and look at my fancy coat and everything like this. And now we see someone that is trying to do the right thing, be a man of integrity and say, I don't want to sin against God. I'm going to run away from this thing. It's a very different person very different. So that's why we say we see this refining process that's happened, right? We see the Lord being with him. We see that he's become a successful man through all of this. It's a refining process. And I'm sure there are some of you out there that are feeling this deeply. You're feeling this whole idea that, you know what? I have tried to do the right thing. 
I have tried to be a person of integrity. I've tried to run away from sin. I've tried to run away from evil in my life. I've tried to escape things, and it just seems like they always run me down. It always catches back up to me. Even though it's, it might be completely out of my control, out of my power, or it might be something I actually did. It just seems like I'm always stuck right back where I started. Just when things are looking up, just when things are looking good, I have to shift gears. I have to pivot. I have to recognize that even though the Lord is with me, this is hard and suffering is hard. And anyone that's had to deal with any type of mental illness or addiction or anything like that can feel this hard. You're constantly trying to run away. You're constantly trying to fight against things like this. You're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to be a person of integrity. And it seems like it always chases you down. And this is one of the clear messages that we see in the entire story of Joseph. But the great thing about this, and we, we get the perspective of the whole story, is how he keeps getting up. Is how we see God being with him through every step. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's times that Joseph was like, oh, thanks for being with me, God. Do you mind being with me maybe a little less? <laughs> you know? It's not easy sometimes. But we get that perspective whenever we see this. In fact, you almost kind of start to see a Job theme start to happen here. You see this idea that just, man, I don't know what's causing this. I don't know what started this. I don't know what I did wrong. But it just seems like life is getting harder and harder and harder. And rather, if it's my fault or not. If you remember whenever we, we had that message on Job, well, the main thing that we talked about is, you know, sometimes suffering happens. Sometimes bad things happen to good people, and we never get to know why. But, but here's a little bit of hope that I want us to see in the story of Joseph, is because sometimes we do. Sometimes we do get to know why. Remember this overall theme? This one verse that I want us to just keep thinking about when we think about Genesis? Let's read that. Genesis 50, 20. Can we bring that up, please? Let's keep remembering this one, okay? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is the end of the story of Joseph. He gets that perspective. He gets to see that end and be able to look back at his life and see all the ways that God pruned him and changed him and made him in the man that he is today just so good. All that evil that, went, uh, that was done against him just so he can see the good that would have came out of that. He gets that perspective. Don't look back and say, man, I wouldn't change a thing because if it wasn't for all of that, I wouldn't be me. I wouldn't be the, good, the person that God formed me to be, right? So this, that's like the overall theme of Joseph, but also with the entire book of Genesis. We see all of the evil that could have been done or was done, right? With, with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, all of these big names that, you know, we learn about in Sunday school. And we actually find out as we read the stories that most of these guys are trash. They don't, they don't, measure up. They're faithless. They do all these horrible things. But who is it that's faithful through the entire narrative? Is it them? No, it's God. 
God is the one that's faithful through every single one of these stories. All of these evil, God means it for good. That's the point. Sometimes we are pruned. Sometimes we are tested. Sometimes we have to be made into a different person so God can get the glory. We're going to watch a video real quick since we haven't done that in like a month. Um, it's another Bible project video. We find these pretty helpful. Um, it's called The Test. Um, it's a little bit longer. It's more like oh, closer to seven minutes. So uh, hope you guys brought some popcorn. But, um, <laughs> but it's, it's really good. Okay, so I'm just going to let it... Uh, let it go, and we'll, we'll circle back around, unpack it more. The story of the Bible begins with God creating a beautiful world and then sharing it with all of his creatures. And he appoints Adam and Eve to rule it on his behalf. And God gives them access to his wisdom and life, but then tells them that there's one tree they can't eat from because it will lead to death. So they have a choice about how to rule with God. This kind of feels like a test. Well, that's because it is a test. But isn't that kind of cruel for God to test them? Well, not all tests are bad. Let's say there's a king who chooses you to fulfill a royal task because he wants to know if you are trustworthy. Well, I guess that's a test, but really it's an opportunity to do something important and noble. Right. But then let's say there's a rebel who hates the king and you. And he tries to convince you that you would be better off not doing what the king asks. Well, the rebel is setting a trap. Right. So a test could be an opportunity or a trap. And the difference is whether the one testing you has your best interests in mind. I see. And both types of tests appear in the beginning of the Bible. God tells them to eat of the tree of life and not the forbidden tree. Yeah, this is God's test of loyalty. God wants to rule the world with humans as his partners, which means they will need to trust his wisdom over their own. But then a rebel comes and tests them to eat of that other tree. Right. The rebel seizes this opportunity and twists it so he can lead the humans into exile and ultimately death. He turns the test into a trap. But after the humans fail, God promises that one day a human will come who will pass the test and defeat the snake. And as the story moves on, God gives a couple named Abraham and Sarah an opportunity to trust him by leaving their family behind to go to a new land where God will use them to restore his blessing to all people. So this is a test. And at first things go well. But Abraham quickly fails. He lies to protect himself, and then he and Sarah scheme to get a son their own way by abusing one of their servants. Definitely not passing the test. But God doesn't give up on Abraham. He gives him one final opportunity, a test to prove his loyalty. God asks Abraham to go up onto a hill and offer his son as a sacrifice. I can't imagine a more intense test. And Abraham does it. But in the last moment, God stops him and provides a substitute animal in the place of his son. God then says he will fulfill his promise through Abraham's family because he passed this test. So Abraham passed this test, but he hasn't proven to be a fully trustworthy partner. We're still waiting for someone who can pass the ultimate test. Yeah, and as the family of Abraham grows and becomes a nation, God continues to test them. 
Like when the Israelites wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They have lots of opportunities to trust in God, to provide water or daily bread. But they instead blame God and even say that he trapped them in the desert to kill them. And so the rest of Israel's story in the Hebrew scriptures is pretty much the same. The Israelites don't trust in God and his promise. They're not loyal. And eventually the whole nation fails. So humans have an amazing opportunity to partner with God, but no one is really qualified. And so all of this brings us forward to Jesus. There's a story where Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. Ah, yes, the wilderness. And there he meets a sinister creature who tries to trap him. But Jesus trusts in God's wisdom. And he passes the test. Then later there's a story about Jesus going to pray with some friends and God commissions him to go up to Jerusalem and to give up his life. And so he goes. And on the night of his arrest, Jesus took his friends and went to a garden. And he told them to pray because tonight, he said, is the great test. And he prayed to God, please let this test pass from me, but not my desire, rather may your desire be done. In this garden, Jesus shows us what passing the test looks like. He trusted in God's wisdom. He loved others more than himself, and he confronted evil with good. Even though it cost him his life. Right. Jesus offered his own life as a sacrifice to cover for all of the failed tests of his people Israel and of all humanity. Jesus passed the ultimate test on behalf of us all. This is amazing. But that doesn't mean everything is going to be great in our lives. I mean, let's be honest, we're going to face our own tests every day. Right. Jesus said every generation of his followers would have their own tests that will force them to trust God in radical new ways. And these tests can be difficult and often painful. But remember, a test from a good God is an opportunity. This is why James, a leader in the early Jesus movement, said that we should be grateful when we face tests and trials because they offer us a gift. It's an opportunity to surrender to God's wisdom and to become more like Jesus, the one who loved us and who passed the test on our behalf. Bible Project videos do a, a great job of helping us understand larger concepts and themes, and this one's no different. Um, <clears throat> the one piece of scripture that really comes to mind when I when I watch this video is actually uh, Hebrews twelve six, and uh, it says, "For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves, and chastises every son whom He receives." And th this is hard scripture to read. Reason being is, it, it's literally saying that God can present hard things in life in order to make us into the better person, into the better kingdom soldier that he knows we can be. Um, the best quote, I think, from this video is when Tim Mackey says that a test from a good God is an opportunity. I love that. And, you know, 
<laughs> anything I would have written in my notes, everything uh, I feel like is kind of overshadowed by that phrase. Um, a, a test from a good God is an opportunity. And I know that this is a very familiar theme. It's a very familiar thing that we, we, we've all felt, we've all dealt with, you know, is, is tests in life that refine and prune. And, you know, this is a message that we hear um, often in our Christian faith. And we are um, blessed sometimes to be able to see what that refining process turns us into. Um, personally, I, I know I've been able to see that. You know, uh, I, I look back and just see like all, all the selfishness that I had, um, all, all of the, um, the crud that I carried around, so to speak, uh, you know, all, all of that. And I look back and, it, and not that I'm, I'm, I'm perfect and not that I don't have selfish tendencies sometimes too, but God has redeemed that and has sanctified that. And without that, without the power from him, I would be a much different person. And I am a much different person because of him. I get to see that perspective of all of the, the hard things that I had to acknowledge about my life. All the things that I had to face and come, come face to face with. And it's hard but it's worth it. And, you know, we, if, if you're a parent, you understand this. You under, understand the concept of denying your children stuff <laughs> in order to make them better. You know, um, you sending them to their room when they do something wrong because discipline is required. Um, forcing them to say please and thank you because you're teaching them manners. Um, making them clean the room, you know, things like that. Or, you know, telling your youngest for the hundredth time, again, don't use the measuring spoons to eat peanut butter out of the jar. We have spoons and bowls, actually. We actually own both. Um, but it doesn't matter. He still finds the measuring spoon to eat the peanut butter right out of the jar and then loses the lid. Anyways, okay, but, <laughs> but you, you know, but we, we get that. You know, we get that understanding that, Sometimes you just have to have patience. You have to have mercy. And that's what we get from God. You know, the story of Joseph, and I, I made sure I, I really wrote these down because I wanted to make sure I, I hit as many as I could. Um, the story of Joseph is actually an amazing parallel uh, to the story of Jesus, specifically. And um, as we read through this through the Bible in this next year, I want us to be you know to train our ears, to train our eyes, to look for these, um, to look for Jesus, uh, because the Bible is one narrative that points to Him. Um, so we, we need to train ourselves to see them. Okay, um, so Joseph's life is a hint of the redeeming gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so. For example, uh, we pull parallels like he was betrayed by his brothers, right? Uh, he was lied about, you know, with Potiphar's wife and everything. He was lied about his character um, and then eventually condemned. Um, unlike Joseph, Jesus was condemned to more than just a pit or to prison. Jesus was actually condemned all the way to death. 
Um, but like Joseph, Jesus is raised to a throne of authority and uses the seat of power to save his people. Jesus' mission was to walk this earth as a human in order to reconcile and redeem us. Just like Joseph, in his journey, landed him in a seat of authority to both reconcile and redeem. See, we see the, the ending of Joseph's story is more than just saving a group of people from a famine, um, which is in there. M much like Jesus died on a cross. He came down, he saw all the hurt, all the pain, all the darkness, and said, I can take care of that. And he stepped down from his heavenly seat in order to be nailed to a cross to take all of our sin upon him and save us from the famine of evil within us. But that's not the only thing Jesus did in the gospel. He also reconciled a relationship. Just like Joseph reconciled a relationship between him and his brothers, we are reconciled to a relationship with our heavenly father, but not only that, with also each other. Through his spirit, through the power of his spirit, we are now reconnected as one body. And, and this is both, like I said, the story of Joseph, but also the story of Jesus in the gospel. This is, this is what we get. Because Jesus was the one that was able to pass the test when we are unable to. Jesus is the one that is able to uphold and be faithful to that covenant promise when we weren't able to. What happened when that promise was broken? God said, I'll take that upon myself. What does Jesus do? He takes our sin upon himself. And that's what we get. So here's what we need to ask ourselves as we close. We see Joseph raised to the seat of authority, right? To, to, to his throne, so to speak. And what does he do with that power? Does he condemn and cause death? Or does he show mercy and forgiveness? So we ask ourselves this morning, what would we do with that power? What if we believe, for just a split second, what if we believe that through our entire life, every event, both the highs, the lows, the struggles, that we get the perspective that God was with us through all of those things and know that, you know, finally we're at a point where we can be a blessing. But do we choose that? Do we choose that we are at a point where maybe we're not struggling right now, but yet we are still holding on to a strife and a condemnation to someone who wronged us 20 years ago? Do we choose mercy and forgiveness like we are taught by Jesus? Or do we instead hold on to a sinful nature of condemnation and death? This week, I'd ask you to pray on that. I'd ask you to think on that. Go ahead and ask Nathan to come up as we finish closing here. Because the other thing I want us to recognize is, as a church, you know, we, we looked at these words up here. And two of these words, right, is connect and grow. So as a church, how do we expect to connect and grow if maybe we're holding on to unforgiveness and condemnation and, and, and problems with one another that maybe happened five years ago? Maybe happened last week. Maybe it's that fresh. 
but you're choosing to hold on to it instead of latching on to this idea of mercy and forgiveness like the Bible actually teaches us over and over. How do we expect to connect and grow as a church body to where eventually we can go? What if we have to admit to ourselves that, you know, maybe we're all, we are holding on to a, 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 a hatred or an unforgiving um, spirit and it is holding us back? What if? I think this would be a good time of prayer, self-reflection, and repentance. Thinking, you know, who, who, what am I holding on to? What am I having difficulty letting go of? We know that the Lord was with Joseph through the ups and the downs. And yes, Joseph got that perspective at the end of Oh man, look Look what God did. He meant all of this for good. But maybe what you're holding on to is a story of Job where you don't get to know. And instead, you're holding on to not trusting because you're waiting for knowledge. You're, you're, you're waiting to know. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll trust him when he tells me why I had to go through that. Maybe that's what you're waiting on. I would encourage you to just take in these themes and just take some time to, to pray and repent.